0: Living through this COVID-19 pandemic requires some serious math literacy. I suddenly find myself reading daily statistics about new cases in my state and in the country and reading about efforts to flatten the curve of infections. I'm trying to understand the risks of all kinds of daily activities. Essentially, I'm making constant calculations of how likely I think I am to get infected if I do X or Y. Our guest today, Conrad Wolfram, says that the educational system has done a terrible job preparing us to live in the world where number crunching is that important, and it's more important than ever. He has a new book out this week called The Math Fix, an education blueprint for the AI age. In it, he proposes a new way for schools and colleges to think about math education, and what even needs to be taught, and why. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing, I'm Jeff Young, an editor and reporter here at EdSurge. When I first got the pitch from the publisher about this book, I wondered if this was really the time to talk about reforming math education. I mean, right now, all kinds of education's been pretty severely disrupted by the sudden move to online. And I wondered whether we should really be quibbling about curriculum reform right now. But maybe this is just the time to be fixing math. After all, the pandemic is forcing some serious reflections about What's really essential teaching in schools and colleges around the world? And there's a fresh look at the question of whether everyone is getting this essential education fairly. So those are the questions we're exploring in this episode. So for those who don't know him, Conrad Wolfram, our guest, is one of the leaders at Wolfram Research. That's a powerhouse in mathematics software. It makes Mathematica, which is used by scientists, and also Wolfram Alpha, a kind of search engine for quantitative information. Uh, It's kind of hard to explain, but they call it a computational knowledge engine. Anyway, Wolfram lives and breathes math tools. And he's based in England, so you will notice he says maths instead of math. Anyway, I was struck by how big, and you know, some might say unlikely, his big idea is. Let's jump into the conversation. I I was struck by how kind of fundamental the call is that you're talking about. It's it doesn't seem like it's just fixing math education there's you know in this you know we have this phrase of like you know reading writing and arithmetic as the the three r's which is is funny because arithmetic's not even an r, an r. Right. <laughs> but but in a way in a way what i read in in this is that arithmetic you think is wholly inadequate and so in, in a way the whole conception people have is ab- around what education in um math is, is wrong. Is that, is that fair? What do you mean by that?
1: So your, your point is very well put. I think, um, you know, in a sense, my book is about both maths itself and it being this very centerpiece of intellectual education and vocational education, you know, it's right there at the middle, along with, uh, your language um, that's sort of pretty much that, you know, those, if you wanted to put the two subjects that are put at the top on most education around the world, that's it. Um, and uh, at the same time, we've got, you know, our AI age starting where we've got, you know, machinery taking over some of what was quintessentially apparently human human intellect. And we're worrying about workforce and how that's going to affect what we need to do as humans and learn in education. And at the other side of this, we've got a world in which computation is right at the center. It's driven the AI age that we're coming into. But it's also, uh, it's also used like in the current pandemic. You know, we have a lot of math on our screens all the time. It's telling us, you know, are you squashing the curve? Are you doing this? So there's a real need for computation in the world. The world is far more mathematical and computational than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And yet, we got this subject in education that seems to be running in a different direction to catch up with that. And that's really what my book's about. That I think there is a fundamental disconnect between the subject in education and the subject that we now desperately need in the outside world. And in a sense, the centerpiece of this is how computers are involved with it. And, and the problem is that, Computers now do all the calculating in the outside world, almost all of it. In education, the computers do almost, we get most of, most of the time we spend getting our students to learn how to do that bit. But there are much bigger bits that, that we kind of need to be able to do. And one way to think about this is, in a sense, the idea of mass computational literacy. So, you know, a few hundred years ago, uh, you know, it was, it was a new idea that everyone should learn to read and write. I mean, at that time, it was, it was mostly, you know, priests and aristocrats who kind of knew how to read and write. And the idea that everyone in the world should kind of be, this should be a mainstay of what it meant to, to be educated, or even that you should try and do that. I mean, you know, maybe people weren't smart enough to learn to read and write. That was, I mean, that was the discussion at the time. We've now got a very similar picture. We've got this computational world full of data science, full of modeling, and I think it is as major as that. It's, it's like, can you think in a computational way? And that's the broadness of what we need out there in the same way. So I, I actually think there's a sort of computational literacy that everyone needs in the same way as they need literacy. And then there's the sort of high end of that. There are people who really want to become the you know, proper you know, data scientists and everything else. That's, that's great. That's, that's part of it. But they're, they're, so there are two ends of that spectrum, but they're all critical. So I don't know if that gives a summary to sort of, and and in the book, what I'm trying to do is go from, you know, problem to solution to how we could try and get there.
0: In other words, there is a need for, just like we think about language education, not everyone is then gonna be a writer or a novelist or something, exactly. or, you know, but that they, that we, you know, we feel like that is a critical core skill. You're arguing that this mathematical, computational literacy is just as important whether you 're going to go into coding or not
1: or absolutely anything. that's exactly right and there's a you know there's a huge power that we need I call it the computational knowledge economy that we 're entering so we've had this idea from I guess Drucker in the '50s that you know there was we wanted a knowledge economy so if you were an advanced economy, most of your economy was based on not you know manual labor, but it was based on things to do with using your your mind as well as your your hands, so to speak. I think we're now entering an age where it's not just your mind; it's the combination of you and being able to compute things on a machine. That's the that's the new driving force. So I call that the computational logic on it. You know, you can that various different names, but so that's my term for it, and. We need everyone to have an understanding of what that is, even if they're not the programmers. There's a difference between setting out the new computation, the new mathematics, the new physics, and using those things. So another way I put this, the difference between driving a car and making a car. And we need a lot of drivers.
0: You know, the other thing that strikes me is, as far as equity, when you describe a time before literacy, before mass literacy, which, you know, wasn't that long ago in the scheme of things, but it's probably one of the big, you know, kind of wins of having a public education system is Absolutely. that there is literacy. You know that that has really changed, and so in in language. But you're you're equating it here to say that you need that kind of computational literacy for this new world. So do you see it as like as an equity issue as well? Yeah, as as very as much. Who so. gets to know what what the literacy is it's to be critical. the driver?
1: I mean, if you look back again, you know, this history, you know, it's very it's 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 it disenfranchises people if they can't directly partake in the information. And so if you have a you know pre mass literacy age, it means you're reliant on folks telling you uh, what to think, basically, at some level, because you can't directly look at that. And so, you know, some of them are very well intended. They they mean to make life better and, and some of them aren't but it's very difficult to disambiguate between those. Exactly the same is happening now. You can see it right in front of us. We're all posted, you know, data on what's happening with COVID-19. It's pretty difficult even for most people to ask the right questions of that. Now, you may not be able to de- de- delve into all of the data, but you've got to have some sort of, you know, is it cause or correlation? What's my way of thinking about risk? Was I, was I helped with that in my math education? You know, did, did I have a basis in my head of thinking about how to assess risk? Um, those are sorts of things I think it's critical that people get educated. And if they aren't, it in the end disenfranchises them. And I think it absolutely causes you know, a bifurcation in society where we've got the, the sort of the, the, the computational thinkers at one level who can understand this stuff and the people who have absolutely no way of even being able to assess it at all and they're then just totally dependent on this very very small group of of kind of high priest data scientists, if I can put it that way.
0: It's a very powerful um, framing, but at the same time, there are other examples like the YouTube algorithm and the Twitter algorithm. We're talking about a lot today about how much that is informing and Facebook the that it informs people's knowledge because that's what's giving them you know what they see their their bubble so to speak of information but it seems like just knowing computational literacy frankly like i have a lot of computational literacy i think but i still can't you know i still like those algorithms are impenetrable and i'm still pretty much at the mercy like is it enough like to give this kind of oh you know like a couple courses to students is it really going to help it's a great
1: question i I think there's a freight as in can you figure out you know how the YouTube algorithm is working in great detail without being an expert in how they do that no can
0: can well can i, and I can, yeah can I do it in a meaningful way yeah
1: yeah i i think but but I think can you start to understand how a machine learning algorithm let's say might might cause people to go you know might cause it to advertise things to you that uh, aren't necessarily You know a very sort of even-handed way they're things that it it was pushing people to 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 more and more in order that it got people hooked on it longer and longer can I understand the idea of that not necessarily work out through the algorithm can I therefore make a judgment more of a judgment it's a bit like you know I think of this a lot like history learning history which I think there's good justification for it's it's you know it's partly just help to stop us make exactly the same mistakes as we made in the past, right? We want to understand something. Now, the, the history never repeats exactly. But if you understand some things that happened there, if you, if you knew what the questions were, if you knew which sort of bit of skepticism to have, it hopefully helps you societally not to make exactly the same mistakes the same way again. And I think that's a sort of inoculation in a way against complete, you know, complete failure, at least in the same direction. And I feel the same here. So I feel there are a lot of... you know, I feel that I'm empowered to be sceptical in a reasonable way about, you know, how Twitter picks what it feeds me or how YouTube picks what it feeds me. And I don't need to know every detail of how to compute that. And I think that's a lot of, at one level, what we're missing. Now, at another level, it's, you know, um, can I the discourse has become much more computational. You know, you see graphs all the time. You didn't see those a long time ago. You see people talking about, you know, the probability of this or that happening, or, you know, the R value we've got a lot of with respect to COVID-19. And again, there's a feeling of, you know, it's just like, okay, here's what we're being told about that. I think there is something you can do for a large number of people where they can, they can have a feel for it. And that feeling will help them not to get completely misled in every possible direction. Uh, as much as they might be without that.
0: You know, there was that book several years ago that was a bestseller called How to Lie with Statistics. Indeed. I'm hearing basically it's now how to lie with algorithms, so to speak, or how to, how to process How to lie algorithms. with computation,
1: I would put it more generally. Yes, I, I think that's, that's, that's a good way to put it. And, and again, there's tremendous power. I mean, once when, when you look at the positive and the negative, computation has brought us fantastic power in you know, improving the world in the last 50 plus years. But as with all power, power is, you know, great and it has dangers. And and one of the dangers is how it can be used to, uh, in a sense, you know, over... It, it can, in a sense, over-egg what it's able to do. I mean, one of the problems that comes up um is how much can... When, when can math and computation actually be used? And when doesn't it really work that well? So, for example, if you... And, and we've seen some of that in this pandemic as well. You know, it's like... um that there are times at which it's just things are in practice unpredictable because there's too many error bars in it. It's, 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 there are too many variables. You can't actually tell you what's going to happen. And yet people don't, that's another piece of the pie they, they don't have. They don't understand that sometimes they're so used to math and computation working really, really well to predict things that they can't get used to the idea sometimes that you can't tell and it's no good some experts standing up saying i can tell you it's going to cost this or going to spread in this way there isn't the sufficient data to do that and it's just not predictable with what we have right now to do that and that's a sort of another piece of the inoculation appropriate skepticism without throwing out all the expertise at the same time that's a nuanced part that i think comes with education of
0: this sort all right so what can educators do
1: so I have various ways to, to think about it. So look, I, I, I'm going to paint the very big picture and then zoom back into what we can do today. Look, the big picture eventually here is we've got to fundamentally rethink our core computational subject. And we call that math today. I don't, I get into the book later about whether we should call it math or not call it math. I, I don't really want to get stuck on that. But one way or another, the thing we're spending a lot of time with through our school education I think has gone off base and could be a much more exciting, much more real and much more conceptual subject all wrapped in one. And uh, I think there's an awful lot to peel back to figure out how to do that. We have, I think, outcomes that are too narrow. We've got uh, no assumption of computers, which completely narrows all the all the tool sets we're using. So we're focusing in a very small number of tool sets that we can do by hand, which is a great pity because there are fantastically powerful ones that that means we then can't align to the real world properly because most of the real world mathematics that's really happening has to use computers now because it can only use algorithms that you can do on a computer. So you can't do them by hand because machine learning doesn't get done by hand. There's too much stuff. Most of data science doesn't get done by hand. So if you just fix on things that can be done by hand, you're on to things that, you know, parts that you're not going to use. So that's the big picture of where we'd like to go eventually. That's obviously a long haul, uh, a long haul to get there. I think individual, you know, sort of more on, a, on an individual level, I think that one of the things I've been trying to outline in, in the book a lot is, is that maths in the end is a sophisticated process, one of the best problem-solving processes that, that humankind has ever, has ever invented. And... I think that people getting used to operating this process really well will help at all levels of education. I think the more we can tether what we do in math. So what this process is, is you're firstly defining questions. You're then abstracting those questions, this really powerful language of mathematics. Um, And we do that because then lots of different situations that apparently are disparate, when you talk about them in English, actually turn out to be the same bit of mathematics. And that means we've invented hundreds of years or discovered hundreds of years of mathematics uh, to solve them, to take them from the question, which is step two, to the answer in this abstract form. And that's this magic step of computing, which is step three. And then the fourth step, we take the answer in an abstract form. You know, we're used to equations where x equals two. And we say, OK, we're now going to interpret that. What did x equal two mean? And that answers the question we asked in the very first step in a sort of real way. You know, well, X equals two meant we could spend two hours doing this before we, before we got infected or something. So that's the process in a nutshell. And I think that the more we can think in terms of how that process works, apply that process over and over again, get used to that process, whether with the explicit calculation or not, use a computer where we can for the calculation so we can do harder bits of the other bits of the process. The more we can do that, I think. Um, uh, the better we'll get. So how can we do it? We've inv- we've built some modules, for example, online to help with this, to try and work out, starting from a real problem that we hope students might like. Uh, there are, I think, just taking anything in the real world and trying to take the real world and do it through this process will, will be a good start to a more sort of computationally literate future.
0: Yeah, and I, I and I guess that is you know, one, one way to phrase it, but what that actually means in practice is actually pretty big, right? It, doesn't it mean kind of rethinking the math curriculum from the ground up?
1: Or having an alternative, which comes in as, as you know, as a, as a thing that we do alongside for a period and then, you know, uh, try to put them together. Yes, eventually this is a very big thing. I think there are two questions here. There's where where do we eventually need to go? And I, I, there's no way to frame it other than to say it's a massive change. It's a fundamental edifice of our educational system. And I'm saying there needs to be a change to that. Now, the good news is if you're keen on math, I think math is more important even than you thought. I just think it's a somewhat different math. So I, I'm not knocking math as a as a concept, absolutely not. I've spent my whole life building Mathematica and, and Wolfram Alpha and, and the things that we do. I, I'm a supporter of math and computation. We've even named our software with you know Mathematica, right? But the problem is uh, I think that there's the alternative scenario, which is we don't reform this and we end up getting further and further bifurcated between these and we find eventually that math falls off a cliff. And people are saying, you know, this didn't really match up with anything I was doing. So, you know what, it's going to stop being this mainstream. I don't want to see that happen at all. Um, there, this has happened before. Uh, certainly in, in European and UK schools, Latin and classics. It seems extraordinary now. But in the 50s, if you went to an intellectual school in the UK, for example, a grammar school or a private school, Latin took up a huge amount of your... Uh, daily of your, of your weekly schedule at school. And it was thought that if you didn't have Latin, you couldn't get into top universities. You had to get a Latin qualification to get into top universities. Uh, it was the intellectual thing. If you weren't good at Latin, you were dumb in some way. I mean, you know. Uh, and that sounds a bit familiar, I'm afraid. 20 years later, it was dead.
0: So you actually think we should be teaching, you think we should be teaching Latin?
1: No, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying Latin fell off a cliff because it couldn't justify itself as a mainstream subject. And I think math is has problems like that at the moment if you're not careful. And I'm saying there's a great way which is that I think there is a math that is exactly what we need that is absolutely critical to the real world that's that's like a literacy and like a a subject that is the most important subject so to speak in the curriculum. It's just not the math we've got at the moment.
0: Interesting. So arithmetic, basic arithmetic is as useful as latin
1: well i'm going to put a little bit of nuance here okay i think that basic early primary education in math has you know i think you can practically say why you learn arithmetic or you know i would even go say i kind of use times tables in my head
0: yeah I by the time
1: right and that's fine you you use it in your head today you practically use it that's great you know, I ask people, when was the last time you did a long division? I mean, not just rough estimate, but the exact, you know, long division thing, right? Uh, When was the last time you solved a quadratic equation? Now, the answer is, if you're not a teacher, you probably don't solve quadratics by hand very much, right? If you're an engineer, you use a computer to solve all sorts of equations, which might be quadratic, might be not, but we're not exposing our students to most other kind of equations. We're only exposing them to, you know, linear and quadratic and a couple of others, right? So, so that's not what we're doing. So why are we spending ages showing people how to do quadratic equations by hand? You see, there seems to be a much better thing we can be doing with our time that's actually more conceptual. When do you use equations? Ask most people in the general public that. When do they use equations? Uh, They don't really know. They don't know when they work, when they don't work, when machine learning would be better than equations for a particular problem. Uh, You see, so there are those sorts of ends of the spectrum that that are not in education. But yeah, so there's a fantastic thing we could do. Now, and we can apply those grander things, those bigger, to so many more practical problems that we actually want to solve and might connect with what students are interested in as well.
0: So, you know, it's interesting, but it does feel like, it feels like that to do these AI math, level math, and the kind of, you know, kind of computational Um, Literacy, it feels like you'd still need a basis in all the math that came before, or much of it. So what it it also just feels like there's a there's a, a real challenge from an educational standpoint because unlike unlike just like shifting from spending you know sorry to make an equation x amount of time and now you need x plus you know a lot. So I mean instead of it just being x like y instead of x you need X plus a lot of time. And at a time where it, it feels like to do it right, you need both the old and, which is a, still the foundation for what you're talking about. And so how do we get there in an equitable way to help, you know, otherwise, to make it not just this specialized thing that yeah, uh, so, education so halves get?
1: I, I totally, uh, so I don't, I, I very much agree with one part and I'm gonna, I'm gonna nuance on another part of what we said. So. We need basics, for, for sure. I just think that you don't need to learn everything you've learned before in order to do this. So I, I, here's the thing, and, it's, it's a, and I totally agree that it's hard to well both conceptualize and work through all these details. But in the end, when you get new machinery, you can't learn how the machinery works to operate it when it's mass machinery. So what ends up happening is you have to step on top of that. Now, the question then becomes, how do you learn, let's say, how to operate the machinery of computation, modern computers and things, without getting fooled by them and with enough understanding so you can really step on the top? And that's a complicated question. I go into that a great deal in my book um, because it requires one to have a new set of outcomes where one's basically trying to abstract thinking. What does it mean to think in various ways about the situation? And the thing that it doesn't necessarily... I mean, so it doesn't necessarily mean doing the thing by hand in order to be able to think that way. Really, in all walks of life, when you get automation, and, and this is going to be such an issue across the whole of education. I mean, one of the things I've, I've, I've put as a sub-thing on my book, you know, um, um, you know an education blueprint for the AI age. And so I see maths as this this sort of uh, top of the tower for what what changes we need. But one of the big general changes we need is how do we mesh what the human now needs to know with what the computer can do? Because it's not by learning what the computer can do for us. And so this big question, so some of the ways you do this, for example, is I think you need to know, uh, in a sense, uh, how not to get fooled by the computer. And... One of the ways you do this is by knowing how to verify things, but verifying things doesn't necessarily mean doing them by hand the same way. It means knowing different techniques, possibly with the computer, to get the computer to check itself in different ways, making sure you don't get fooled by the assumptions you made. One of the problems, I think, with some of the COVID modelling is that people have gone off with the wrong assumptions about what they're trying to do and about how it spreads and all sorts of things, and that's caused problems in how it's modelled. Typical mistake. It uh, was certainly a problem in the financial crash as well, where people made the wrong assumption about how risk worked. So those are things that I think we really need, and we're, we're not doing a good job with that at mathematics education at the moment, and we, we could be doing much more. So, so we need new basics with new outcomes that allow us to do this. Now, when you, when you ask about equity, it's very interesting, because at the moment we have a mathematics that's very abstract. It starts off abstract, and if you're very lucky, after you've done the bits of, you know, we, we were on quadratic equations before, if you do the quadratic equation, you might really be lucky and discover what what on earth you use that for. I think that is very disenfranchising to many, you know, it's 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 very inequitable. Because I think a lot of people who are from a confident, you know, intellectual background can push through at an early stage the abstraction, even though they don't really know why they're doing it. I think folks from a less, you know, a, a kind of a you know, a a less affluent background often gets stuck because they need to connect it early on. It doesn't mean they're any less good at abstraction. It doesn't mean there's any less intellect there. It just means that early on, they can't do that jump because they don't quite have the confidence. What I'm suggesting is something where we start from the real world and we work back from the real world and then we use the abstraction where it helps us. And I think by that time, a a, a lot of the folks who find maths awful at the moment, they don't understand why they're doing it, would be much more connected in and I actually think we'd get many more people doing the more abstract bits of it later than we do at the moment uh,
0: it it strikes me that as you mentioned you've spent a lot of your career helping to build some t- very powerful tools like mathematica and, and and wolfram alpha um which do so much of you know which are so powerful at just kind of giving answers to people so to speak when they type in so i guess it does um I, I, it does make me wonder is, is it still a sense that like, um, you know, there, there, it, it feels almost like you really feel confident that the, the tools that you and others are building are powerful enough and they're going to be able to like be the thing you stand, that we stand on the shoulders of as humans to then, to, to then go to, instead of being parallel that we are doing that and they're doing that, that, that this, that the real, you feel like the way to use your tools is to actually have people not really know much about that and just build on top of it.
1: So, so I would say two things. I mean, I think we've passed that point for many aspects of them years ago. I mean, years and years ago, you know, if you ask, for example, if you ask for integration, symbolic integration, you're know, doing calculus. I mean, I don't know, I forget the exact date, but I mean, I would say 15, 20 years ago, it was like one could beat any human with Mathematica or, you know, other, other systems to do integration, right? It's just... Now, there are other things that are, you know, you need more human intervention at the moment still. And part of, part of what I say in the book a lot is part of knowing with any machinery set, what you can do is the state of the machinery. So actually knowing that you can trust you know, uh, Mathematica, for example, pretty well for integrals. I mean, better than you could trust virtually any human is important. But there are other things that are that are much closer in gestation, you know, haven't been going as far where you need to be much more sceptical as a human. So part of that is keeping up with the machine. And it's the same true, you know, back to the car analogy, it's the same. There are things that cars automate fantastic. I mean, most people drive cars haven't got the faintest idea how they work. And there is a relation, If you become a, you know, a I guess a NASCAR driver, a Formula One driver, right? There's a certain relationship. If you become a very advanced user of the machinery, you then get to know more about the insides because it makes a difference on the edge. But for most people driving a car, the more automation you have in the car and the better the automation, the less you need to know, so to speak, about the internals of the car. As long as you're trained in certain things. You know, what to do if you go around a corner too fast? So there's this funny interplay between knowing about the machinery, knowing how to verify the machinery, knowing the limits of the current machinery and what you can, where you can and can't push it. But the most important thing is keeping your eye on the essence of the subject. So in my view, the essence of computation mathematics is decision making, solving problems. It's a fantastic system for solving problems. That's the point. And... How we do that is we use the best machinery for the job. And for hundreds of years, that was our brains to do the calculating. Now we've made machines that have fantastically, you know, I mean, the, the, it, you couldn't, I think of all automation in the history of humans, this one is the most fantastic level of automation above what we might have imagined we could do. And so at some point, if you don't decide you're going to use the machinery, trust it as a general purpose thing, so to speak, if you don't decide you're going to do that, you're then throwing away all the advantage you had. You know, if we decide that we're not going to trust a car, but we're going to walk everywhere because, you know, I know there's obviously there's environmental issues now with cars and things. But so there are other issues. Maybe the car isn't the best analogy, But in the end, because, you know, we're not going to allow anybody who doesn't understand how a car operates to drive it, I mean, how a car is made to drive it we're cutting out most people from that. And so I think the way to think of this is you need to use the machine, you need to have a skeptical view of the machinery and you need to know how and where you can trust it. And there are ways we can build that up in our educational setup. And then you need to use it as hard as you can. And I think by doing that, you enfranchise many more people and you get much further. And we're absolutely at that point with computational machinery.
0: And there is this concern in the AI age that automation will simply you know, take jobs and, and change the world. And now with the pandemic, we're seeing this mass unemployment and acceleration of some of those trends, maybe. And I guess I'm curious what your view is on whether whether humans should be worried about their place in this new world with all the tools that you and others have created.
1: Uh, yes, but there's an antidote and it's it's fixing the education system. I mean, in the end... If we're educating people to pretend to be the computers that we have, I mean, I'm, you know, one of the things I've often said is, you know, we want to make, in terms of mathematics and computation, we want to make, you know, what we need is first-rate problem solvers, human problem solvers, not third-rate human computers. So the antidote to this is stepping up our education to educate humans in what is important in the future for humans to be doing We've already mechanised certain things very, very well with computers. Don't get the humans to compete with the computers on what the computers already do well. And I think if we look at it from that point of view, I'm pretty confident about the future of, of humans, so to speak. So as in, I think there's a lot we'll want to do in life that we can't do yet. I think there's, so to speak, plenty of work to be done because we'll all want to do more things than we did. I mean, you know, and years ago, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't travel around the world as we do or we have been doing or we will do again, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm a sort of believer in the fact that humans like to improve their standard of living. They like to enrich their lives. And that we'll want to continue to do that. And part of doing that will clearly be to step up and, you know, have more jobs doing more things that we haven't even invented yet. But we aren't going to manage that if what we do is compete with what computers do well in rote learning things that they know, you know, that we can look up, in doing mathematics, you know, doing the calculation step of the mathematics that they can do millions of times faster than we can. But I still believe there's an awful lot we can offer as humans. And and one of the things that way I split this up in the book is to talk about... In a sense the value add i mean there are two levels of this there's there's survival right what do humans need to survive now what are the crucial survival elements and i've talked a bit about computational literacy uh, earlier in our discussion and i consider that survival just like literacy is now at the other end there's what's the value add What, what are humans value adding in the future and i think computational thinking actually is pretty important on both ends of that spectrum you know, at the high level, it's to really move us forward. We know how valuable data science jobs are and and other technical jobs. Those are examples of computational thinking jobs. And we want more of those and, and more depth in those. So I, I'm optimistic, actually, about the future. Um, but I think that education has got its ecosystem a bit stuck some of the time, particularly for subject change. And that's stopping us innovate in some of the ways that we, we would like to. And the and, and trouble is... it, it What's really upsetting about that is there are a lot of folks on the ground, teachers, for example, who have great innovation ideas that they'd like to carry out in all sorts of ways. But we are often hamstrung by by, so to speak, the system. And it's it's nobody's fault. It's just that the system has grown up in a way that that is quite anti-various sorts of innovation of types. And and it's just very hard for anybody to navigate, even the people in charge, right? It's not like somebody can click their fingers and change it. You know, there are a lot of pieces to this system. And, and I talk about that quite a lot in the book as well, and some of the ways we should think about how to encourage the right innovations there.
0: Well, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your, your ideas from the book and your, and your vision of how, how to reframe math. Great, thanks. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week, we bring you conversations like this one. And we're happy to say that the audience has been growing lately. So if you're new to the show, please make sure to subscribe and check out the archive of more than 300 episodes. If you like what we're up to, please share the EdSearch podcast on social media. That is the best way to support the show. We saw a lot of folks sharing out our episode recently with Michael Wesch, a professor who talked about his unique approach to making um, teaching videos. He calls them adventure lectures. Thanks so much to all of you who spread the word about that one. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young, You can find me on Twitter at jryoung or email me at jeff at edsurge.com. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening and be well.